This is The Verse, a weekly dive into the cinematic universes and beyond. We'll dissect the latest episodes, films, and news all fans from veterans to news are dying to know more about. Now, here's our team of pop culture superheroes we call The Verse Squad. Welcome to The Verse. Welcome back to The Verse, the podcast that doesn't mind sharing our feelings. And today, we're going to be sharing our feelings about Moon Knight Episode 5 and, and Paramount Plus's brand new series, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But before we do, let's meet the team. I'm Norm. I'm Bridget. I'm Lucas. And I'm Emilia. And this is not the verse news. I know, I know, we had it gone for a while and we brought it back. I know you missed us a lot, but, you know, we just don't want to spoil you with too much news. So instead of seeing what the verse came up with this week, what the verse squad came up with this week, we're going to be moving right along into our scheduled programming. Lucas, I think this is your place to shine. Hey, uh, where'd he go? He was just here. (laughs) Do not tell me we lost another (laughs) co-host. I don't think I can take this one. Lucas here. Want to beam up. Do we have a transporter on the ship? Uh, we do now. Here, uh, fiddle with these sliders. It's working! I, I see him, but uh, he looks different. Nice threads. Where'd you get the captain's uniform? Wait, do we also have a replicator on the ship? I figured, if we're going to conduct a new segment called Star Trek Academy, I'd do it in style. Now class, take your seats and grab your tricorders. I'll be your professor, Captain Lucas C. Longacre. Welcome to The Verse, Star Trek Academy. What does that mean for you, the listener? It means school is in session as we venture deeper into a most beloved cinematic universe, Star Trek. We have discussed the franchise much before and even covered some of the series, including the impressive new Star Trek Prodigy. But this is a new approach. We think you will enjoy this because Star Trek has always been a cinematic universe adored by many while remaining a bit of a mystery for others. With 50 years of content, over a dozen films, and numerous series, it is a little tough to hop into the franchise. We are going to fix that. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Verse Squad. On a mission. To explore your favorite cinematic universes. To seek out new films, and new series. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. So that you went right for TNG, yes. Norm. Much respect. I, I, I gotta say, I actually think TNG has the best uh, theme song of the Star Trek, so... That's essentially where my heart belongs to, but the is iconic from the yeah, original series so is so iconic for the OG fans. That's where their minds will go. All right, Emily and Bridget. Yes. What has kept you from exploring strange new worlds, seeking out new life and new civilization, and boldly going where no one has gone before? Geez, start with an easy question, would you? Like, <laughs> how's your day? Uh, I don't know. I I never. My mom's a big Trek fan, 
but never was introduced to it. Never introduced to Star Trek. And I think now there's so much Star Trek, like so many series, so many different films. It's a bit overwhelming to want to, like, where do you dive in? I guess is the big question. Where do you even start? An entry point is important. I agree. Yeah. So wait, you never saw the Kelvin timeline is what it's called, where J.J. Abrams did a the Star Trek movies, Star Trek Into Darkness and Oh yeah, Beyond. I saw... I'm sorry, what's that? Um, two of those. <laughs> no, that would be a negatory. Negative commander. So Emilia, you, so you haven't seen, you said you did see one of those movies? I saw the first one and Wrath of Khan. Um, I have wait, not... Wrath of Khan. Wait, that's the original... Uh... You're talking about the, the actual the... <clears throat> with Shatner. No, sorry, I just okay. Uh, so you, so you saw, saw Into Darkness, J.J. Abrams movies, yes, okay. Into Darkness okay. because it has Khan. Yes, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Khan though. Yes, um, so that's what I know, but I just didn't like have anyone in my life that was into Star Trek growing up, so um, I was somewhat aware of it. I tried to dabble a little bit because I thought that after I'd seen the J.J. Abrams movies, I thought the character of Spock was really cool. So I did a bit of Googling, and that was about as far as I got. I learned about the Vulcan nerve pinch. You know. <laughs> nice. Okay, That's so an important that thing to know in the, in the Star Trek universe. Uh, do you know the Live Long and Prosper sign? That's actually do. pulled from – because Leonard Nimoy was uh, Jewish, and he would see that his, the rabbis when he was a kid would like communicate like this. Uh, it was like these secret handshakes they would do, which was the Vulcan sign. And he actually used it in the original series. And oh. now it's become like pop culture. It's lore. iconic, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice bit of bit of trivia. Oh, I'm full of trivia of Star Trek. <laughs> um, so that's what I would love to know is, are you excited to go on this journey or is this going to feel like a slog for you <laughs> at this point? Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm, uh, I'm a bit apprehensive. Um, it's a big commitment. Okay, hold. I'm a com- I'm a completionist. I know this, Bridget. So and I know so much. It's so mm, I don't know if I'm mentally, emotionally, physically <laughs> prepared to endure on this journey. I was going to ask if anything, if besides the completionist part, if uh, your Star Wars fandom also ha- fights this a little bit. Honestly, no, because. You know, what, Good. you know what really pains me about this is because I know I will enjoy it. Like, I know <laughs> that I will enjoy it, which means I have to watch all of it. And it's such an investment. And I'm not sure if my nerd brain can handle any more of this. I feel like the past year I've finally gotten, like, a hold of myself that, like, <laughs> I don't go on my Star Wars tears, like, anymore. Like, I used to do a bi-annual like i would say a quarterly star wars deep dive and i would like revamp my um my utter obsession with star wars and it was very unhealthy like i would eat sleep and breathe star wars and i don't do that anymore and i think that was a pandemic thing um and i but it always happens when i get into something new like a new series or new show so i don't know well, so since you're a completionist when you, and you yeah. ask for an entry point, the thing that I would actually encourage everyone to start with is watch the original series. It's not all going to hold up, but it's gorgeous. Truly, when this came out, it was prestige TV. And uh, it, by the way, another fun fact about Star Trek is that um, Desilu, or I sh- should say... Um, Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball. It was a producer. Lucille Ball. 
she was the reason this show got made because she started a production company after she got divorced from her husband and they greenlit the show. It was one of the most expensive shows to produce at the time. And the effects they were doing had never been done before. And recently they did a, remi- a remix of it. So the, the ones you'd see now have been refurbished. All the effects and graphics have been um, redone. So it looks great. And they've been done in the style of the old yes. one. So like it, you could watch this and not even realize that these effects have been redone because they really matches. They, whoever did it, I, I can't remember at this point, but they were really like huge fans like me. So they didn't want to mess with perfection. But if you go back and rewatch these, so there, there was an original pilot that was created that did not have William Shatner, uh, which then gets reused, which we'll get into because it's very relevant for the upcoming Strange New Worlds storyline. They did a pilot that had a, a, a female number one you know Star Trek, it's there's like the, the right hand man or woman. Um, that pilot, the, the network liked it, but they were like wanted some changes. And one of the big changes was they didn't want to have a female and a uh, an alien, which was the Spock character, uh, as like two of the leads. They just didn't think America was ready for it. So then they redid the 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 first episode with William Shatner recasted, and that was one of the big deals. Is that the original uh, Captain Pike? The, the actor was, did a fine job, but he just was a little too stoic. And so they got William Shatner, who, by the way, like as a kid, I was more a Spock fan. Love Leonard Nimoy. But as I got older, I respect that William Shatner brought a sense of adventure and levity to a character that he's just so much fun to watch. He has so much fun in all the episodes. You have fun. And uh, and Spock and McCoy, it's like the, the this triumvirate where they, it's like, reason emotion logic right all these things battling it out every episode and those old episodes of star trek not only is the style amazing with like the mini skirts and the colors because color just had become a big thing and not everybody had color tvs so like you go back and rewatch those old ones the episodes are gorgeous they're like time capsules and they hired some of the best sci-fi writers in the business who were like novelists and stuff short story writers to write episodes and everybody could submit episodes they essentially had like an open policy where people would send in you know, potential episodes and they'd, they'd weed through them. And so they got some of the best writers in the business telling really progressive, crazy stories that were, you know, very, uh, I should say, like ahead of their time. Uh, and so it was a very groundbreaking show. It's hard to even understand that at this point. Like the first interracial kiss was on a Star mm-hmm. Trek episode. Like they were really pushing wow. the boundaries. And so Gene, Gene Roddenberry definitely was ahead, uh, ahead of his time, really, for the writing in this and and just the overall content yeah so gene roddenberry before doing this had done his only credits were like a cop show but he ended up getting kicked off by the network because he kept trying to like he would push it too far so he was a guy that he only really created one great thing in his life which is star trek but is truly like one of my oh, favorite franchises and legacy it's i yeah it's i grew up on this and um but anyway, so I highly recommend starting on those old episodes because they, they hold up and they're really engaging. And some of the some of those episodes, I, I rank up with the Twilight Zone in like being emotionally complex and interesting. And honestly, they had some writer, some of the same writers in the Twilight Zone even end up working on Star Trek. So Bridget, like if you're a completionist, you can start on the, uh, on the original episodes, but I highly encourage you don't don't hold back like the new stuff coming out now even though it, it gives nods to those old ones, you don't have to have watched them to appreciate these new episodes. In fact, they've done a really great job of opening the world up to new audiences. So you could start on Strange New Worlds, episode one, without any knowledge. And, you'll, and it, you won't feel like you're confused. Okay. 
that's really good to know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Emilia, if you're that sounds like a daunting task to you, and if you you could literally just drop in right now, start with Discovery season one, um, which takes place in the timeline. Right now, I think they're on season four, or you can go over to Strange New Worlds. You can just pop right in there, even though there's a, a tie-in you can still watch these things as standalone entertainment and you'll get a, a fine experience. Where would you like to start then, I guess? I think part, part of the reason I'm a little daunted by it and a little unsure is because I, I sometimes have to ask myself, like, do I like space that much <laughs> when it comes to um, cinematic universes and franchises? Because I feel like the series that are famously set in space are never my favorites. Um the notable exception of Doctor Who, which is not primarily set in space. Um, so that is something, because I felt like I was, like when it came to Star Wars, I was pretty lukewarm for a lot of it. And uh, then lukewarm. Star Trek, yes, and then Star Trek, I was like, I do remember liking the J.J. Abrams movies, but I think a lot of that was also like being, you know, in middle school and that was like, it was like fun um, film candy to consume. And I'd have to revisit them. but uh, So I think that's what I'm thinking about now. But I like the comparisons to the Twilight Zone because I think that those have always been explored really interesting questions. Yeah. And like that might be the same thing that draws me in here. Like uh, Actually, there's like a tie-in with Doctor Who there too. Like every episode might be set in space, might be a new adventure. Um, but there's like this beating heart through the whole thing of like, the main characters and the lessons that they bring and what it says about um, society and the human experience, et cetera. Well, what I'll tell you that though, that you should feel comfortable with is that the idea of Star Trek, it was a really wagon train to the stars. So the idea was it was a new planet every week, right? A new problem to be solved. And that was, uh, so even though it's a space show, it's really just visiting these new societies that are a, a, a reason to do a morality play. And that was Gene Roddenberry's whole pitch to, of the show. And Strange New Worlds, the new one that's coming out now, is taking that old roadmap and saying, we know that this is what the OG Star, fan, Star Trek fans loved, so we're going to give them more of that. So there's going to be a lot of space, for sure. They're in a starship, but it's essentially them visiting new worlds and exploring new cultures and civilizations as a mirror of what's happening in our own. I love it. So hopefully that'll help encourage you to be like, okay, it's not going to be as space-heavy, but, you know, there'll be a lot of beaming down to planets and interacting with different people and solving problems. So Akiva Goldsman, who is the creator and director of the first episode of Strange New Worlds, guess what he wrote, Bridget? What's it? You'll never guess. It's one of Was your it favorite. Gotham? Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it is Batman and Robin. <gasps> Shut oh up. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. Shut I up. I wish I was. I'm not kidding. Shut up. Mm. Ah. And guess who... And so for Norm, I know you're a fan, I don't have to convince you, but um, one of the creators of this, Alex Kurtzman, he wrote Titans. Yep. Oh. Which is on HBO Max. So this is, you know, these guys, they're from bad, the Bad Robot School, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams. So, they're, you know, these are people that have been creating content for a while. <laughs> Some content that you love, Bridget. A big thanks to Paramount Plus for providing us with screeners to the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Since this series seems like a great hopping in point for the franchise, uh, a combination of some old and new, we will be discussing each episode, but in a more of like a classroom environment. Lucas and I have many years of Star Trek viewing behind us. 
Uh, we're going to lead the conversation while our Star Trek red shirts, Emilia and Bridget, watch along, asking the questions that many new Trekkies may have. It'll be similar to what we usually do, combined a little bit with our blind spots and probably a little bit of schooling. So quick question for our, our class here. Uh, Bridget and Emilia, do you know what a red shirt is? Like, yes. you know, like when someone has like a fifth year on a basketball team in college <laughs> and they can... Uh... Not, not a college red shirt, but... But of course, that's where your mind first went. I love it. They sit out their first year. <laughs> it's a, it's a Star Trek employee who is slated for death. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I love how that you know just to show you how ubiquitous Star Trek is in our pop culture conversations. A red shirt is essentially you've never seen them before on the ship. They're suddenly going on the away mission with the stars of the and show. They ain't coming back. The odds of them making it back very slim. Very slow. Cannon fodder. Mm. Cannon fodder, yeah. Mm. Okay, so Strange New Worlds begins with our Captain Christopher Pike, who has to come out of a self-imposed exile uh, to rescue his old first officer who has gone missing during a secret mission. So we start on Earth, in the snow, riding horses, which is definitely not a setting you're, expe- you're used to seeing in Star Trek. Um and then he gets pulled out of retirement or like I would say self they say self-imposed exile because he actually isn't formally retired yet um, to come look for his first officer who is missing on a mission. Right. But it's not any mission. It's a first contact mission, which is in the Star Wars universe, a very big deal. Like it, it can't be understated. There's rules. There's, rules. Like there, the, there's something called the prime directive that must 100 percent be followed. And, you know, it's it's imperative that these it's it's called the prime directive for a reason. You're not supposed to really mess with it. Not yeah, it has to be handled delicate. It is the most important directive, which they tend to not not to get too nitpicky. They tend to blow it up. Yeah, all the they, time, they, they move around. It. But it's a big deal. And um, the idea of first contact is when you're contacting alien species for the first time who doesn't have any like space travel warp travel uh capabilities no it's it's when they first gain access to warp drive technology because that's the not necessarily you're right that is the prime directive see this is where we're getting really star trek nerdy but yeah that's when you're only allowed to contact them but it does happen where they oh no right right first, first contact, contact in general right yeah accidentally no. or they stumble and they which they do on on star trek all the time so she she goes she goes missing on the very on her first contact mission any questions so far? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. I'm ringing the bell, which indicates I have a question. Communicator beep. <laughs> if, sure. If a Star Trek-esque uh, civilization, like a Starfleet thing, landed on Earth, they're obviously not humans in this case, um, and was like doing the first contact with us and was like, we are aliens um and uh we are here to like um guide you into the future and do all this stuff and like there's these certain rules and like they have like this this code this morality and and all that mm-hmm. um would you not feel a little bit condescended to yes in fact <laughs> first contact did happen between humans and vulcans Yes. So that's essentially what happened, how humanity got into the Federation and created the Federation, I guess you could say, was because Vulcans did first contact with humans and felt very condescended to. Uh, but then they, you know, formed a 
friendship. So, but that's a good point, uh, Emilia. And how, how, like, there's a reason why these rules are in place is one, you don't want to give technology too soon because it could destroy a civilization. Uh, they have to be ready for yes. it. Yes. Uh, but also, you don't want to, you know, you want to make sure that, um, you, yeah, you, you're not going to be impacting the, the civilization or even maybe ones around it. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of rules to it and there's a lot of, uh, we delicate negotiations that have to go yeah. to bring people on board. The reason why I brought up like moments before was the warp drive technology uh, seems to be the be like the common benchmark throughout Starfleet when talking about the Prime Directive and everything. Warp drive technology is it, and it's because it's their reasoning behind it is it seems like more of a willingness to explore outside of their their current knowledge base. So therefore they see that as a, uh, a point where your horizons are open and ready for, you know, figuring out what's, what's, what else is out there. You can travel at faster than light speed. Right. Um, noticeably Lucas brought up first contact between the Vulcans and Zephram Cochran, who is the, like becomes a major hero in the Star Trek universe. Uh, it's pretty big. And again, in every single episode ever that like covers first contact is always a very, it's always treated very seriously. And so they end up, uh, Pike gets back on the enterprise, uh, you know, back in the captain's chair, meeting some new faces, uh, which is, uh, you know, pretty standard that, you know, the, the crew is going to become a big part of the storyline. So one of the things I've always loved about, especially newer Star Trek, because uh, the original kind of, even though this amazing cast of characters that we got to meet, uh, the, the relationships between the characters become really big, more so than ever. But we're, So we're treated to Ethan Peck, who's playing Spock. So Spock is such an iconic character, and they recast him as a young, a young Spock. We get to see who's, you know, uh, not nearly as far along as uh, we're used to seeing Spock in his storyline. We also get, well, Anson Mount, who plays Kat, uh, Christopher Pike. Then we get Rebecca Romjin. Rebecca Romaine, who's his missing number one. It goes back to Star Trek Discovery. Uh, was in season two. The two of them were in that show together. But So she's now reprising her role as number one in Strange New Worlds. And she's the one who's gone missing. Uh, we also get some new characters that seem really fun to me. One is Dr. Mabenga, who was one of the... Uh, actually the lighthearted fun moments of this uh, episode yes. where uh, he was featured in a lot of them. We also get uh, Nyota Ohura, who from the original series, if you remember Ohura, who was the communications officer, um, she's played by Celia Rose Gooding. So we get to see a lot of people on this, on this starship. Oh, also chief Kyle, um, who's the transporter chief uh, who gets a little bit of uh, action in this one. Uh, but so we're starting to fill out the cast a little bit. So did, do you have any questions or concerns uh, early on when we get to meet the bridge crew? Uh, ding, ding, ding. Uh, sure. So I just got the, but you just explained it, Lucas. So I get the feeling that these characters, these specific actors and characters, they've already been on screen together before. Some. Some of them have, okay. but not all. Okay. But that's the thing is you can come in right now and just start learning who these people are and you're not going to, it's not going to impact your experience. So, really like much. Captain Kirk and Spock, like those are like, I obviously like know those are like the main characters from Star Trek. So the, mm -hmm. these are like the same characters. It's just like a different way of telling well, this story, I guess. Kirk's not in this, but Spock is. And this is the third it's, different up at the end, actor. right? Yeah. No, no, it's not Kirk. Kirk. That's it's not, not Kirk. Kirk. No, it's his brother. 
Yes. Oh. So, I see. so one thing to bear in mind is Vulcans live a lot longer oh, than humans. Right. Space that elves. That makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> That's a great way of thinking of. Oh, okay. They're so like that makes more sense. Space elves from Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. But yeah, it's a, what I like so far about this is it's. Oh, and then Lieutenant Erica Ortegas, who ends up taking over the ship where they well, Pike goes down on the away mission, which is a very common occurrence yes. on all of these. Uh, Star Trek shows is the captain for some reason goes down on the mission himself, which you're really not supposed to do. (laughs) Which Next Generation kind of course corrected and made it a little more realistic that the number one would go down. Uh, But in this case, uh, so I like that they have all this new cast of characters and bridge crew that we get to meet. Especially like Norm said, we get introduced to Kirk's brother at the end of the episode. So his brother Sam Kirk is introduced on the bridge as well at the end. So we're getting to fill out all of these different characters. So. One of the big character developments for uh, Captain Pike, which is a throwback to the original series, though you don't have to know this, is that um, he knows from Discovery Season 2 that his life is going to end. He saw his own death. In fact, he saw that he's going to be horribly disfigured and crippled. And you can see that that's weighing on him because he knows if he goes on these missions, uh, you know, it's only going to end in pain and death for him. Yet, he still now chooses to go. And that was kind of the... Uh, the arc of this episode was to get his character back into outer space and to embrace what his his you know fatal future will be. So with the the timeline and the the characters and everything, like how many times have these specific characters been rebooted? Because like Pike, Spock, Ahura, these are people that I I've I know and have heard of and have even seen on screen. Right. Yeah, three times now. Although you could have a, you could almost say four because there was an animated series. Although granted, that was still supposed to be but, a part of the original series. But the part, the other part of this is, is the Kelvin timeline is an offshoot of where we are. So this is, while this would be, uh, this is a prequel yeah. to um, the original series. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this in the timeline takes place before the Kirk and Spock series. So they'll probably mirror pretty closely what they would have been like um, in the original series. Uh, Yes, I think so. In fact, Pike's storyline is from the original series that they mined for Discovery Season 2 that they were now exploring here. And the thing that I love about setting it in this timeline is because this is truly like where I think Star Trek is... It's most fascinating is when they're out going exploring strange new worlds. Hence the name of the series is Strange New World. So we're going to meet so many new alien races. We're going to meet so many different cultures. Um, and that for me is the exciting part is the exploration. It's not the battles, the fighting, the space stuff. Truly, like it is really in the exploration that I think is the heart of Star Trek. Well, it you know, the heart of Star Trek to, for me is always going to be how they tell these really human stories by introducing you to aliens that they, mm-hmm. you know, narrow the um, the cultural scope of the aliens down to a particular point that they want to discuss in the series. And this mm-hmm. this first episode was about war and civil war and how it mimics our own history and how, how do we deal with that now and talk about it from uh, a higher plane of being like, well, that was wrong and here's why we know it was wrong but still be entertaining and make it relevant to what's going on in today's society. And if you think right now there's, you know, a war going on in Ukraine with uh, Russians invading. And what if you dropped in right now and said, Hey, here's these weapons that you can defeat your enemy with and save yourselves. Would that would be very compelling, right? 
So like they, they really, you know, are going to be grappling with topics that are very relevant to our everyday experience, but done in the guise of science fiction where it's almost a little more, you know, contemplative. And I think in a way it can be more powerful. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that, cause this is episode one. And so of course they have to lay out a lot of groundwork with the people that mm -hmm. we're going to be spending all this time with. Um, but I hope that as we move forward, it goes a little bit more the Doctor Who route where they spend like because the the, the um, predicament that they found themselves in was very interesting. Like the reflection of this planet compared mm -hmm. to Earth um, and the very obvious topical like uh, lines that you can draw. I hope that in future episodes, they spend a lot more time with the people there and like the intricacies of, of what's happening, the little human stories along the way. Not not human, but... No, no, you, <laughs> the morality stories you're talking you, about. You totally touched on it, yeah. Yeah. And I do think, though, that's... You You have a, a solid point there. Like, So I want to see how you all felt about the episode. Um, but I think this episode really was to get them into space. Pilots are hard in that way. Like, you have to push... You have to essentially do the setting so that the rest of the episodes will work, right. if, you, if that makes sense. So we got Pike back into space. He got his... Rebecca Romaine is number one, uh, is, is back. Um, so yeah, I think this is just the setup for what are, are, is to come. But so like Bridget, what did you think about it as a non Trekkie? I mean, I thought it was like a very like well filmed, produced like episode, like only like going off the first one. Like I, I was drawn into it. Like I, I guess like I don't know anything about the plot line of Star Trek. Like I know a couple of the characters. I don't know what anything means though. And I think it's definitely fascinating because I want to get to know these characters more. Like if they're going to be exploring other planets, like that's one thing I love about Star Wars. I like going to the different locations. So if you guys are saying that this is something that happens often in Star Trek, then I'm definitely looking forward to that. But I, I guess like what bothers me a little bit is like knowing <laughs> that these characters like know each other and there's like other content that came before this. So sometimes like that, I just want to like kind of get past that. I, I want to, I'm, I'm stepping outside my comfort zone guys. I'm doing things out of order <laughs> and I think it'll benefit me though, because I think that seeing this first will make me appreciate other Star Trek content. A well, bit more. the the good thing here for you, Bridget, is if you really want to know the some of these characters' backstories more, all you have to do is watch Discovery. That's the only Star Trek content that happens in the universe's timeline before this. Gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. everything that happens um, to date, because uh, I, I think Enterprise was after Enterprise's. No, Enterprise actually is before this, like in the actual okay, timeline. Then, but everything but else, truly, the main thing, has no impact on these yeah. characters at all. Gotcha. Okay, good to know. Good to know. That's the thing is, there's so much Star Trek content. You can't, you know, you're gonna get bogged down if you try to like be a completionist. Yet yeah, you will get there, but like you know, so if if I truly, if you wanna, if there's other content, say you really enjoy an episode and you're like, oh, I'd like to watch some more this week. I highly recommend going back and watching Discovery. Okay. I really think this show is a great entry point because it kind of bridges old Star Trek and new Star Trek in a way that none of the other shows recently have been able to do. Um, and so this one, I, I'd say start here because then you'll be able to like understand some of the original characters, even though they're played by different people. Uh, and some of those old storylines somewhat tie into here. It's not going to spoil anything. 
uh, and it'll allow you to, to have one foot in new Trek and one foot in old Trek. All right. I think I can do that. Are all of the characters that are introduced to us, do they already all exist or are some actually new? Some are actually new. Most of them are new. The, the, the ones that we've already met are Spock, Pike, Ahura, and I'm pretty sure that's it. Oh, Rebecca Romain was in of the previous Discovery season two as well. So, our this Doctor is not going to be Bones. No, this is not Bones. It's not Leonard McCoy. Well, I wasn't sure if there was like, well, because I didn't know that this was actually going to tie in and and actually be a proper like supposed to be a prequel where they would cast people that kind of looked like younger versions. Whatever. Well, they um, tried that with Spock, but it's yeah, it's a preceding it. So, so I would say maybe in the next what fifteen, twenty years, you'll get the next. Then Bones and and uh, Kirk will show up. So, her, um, I mean, they they're like she's the prodigy, so like she's very young. She's fresh out of the academy. Which makes sense, but um, don't she and Kirk like Captain Kirk like son of Kirk who was introduced in this like have a romance or is that only in the J.J. Abrams movie? No, no, it's That is the Abrams yeah. movie. They didn't really had a romance in the original series. No. But that's okay. a good So question. I was going to say she'd be weirdly older than him. Yeah, a, a lot of people uh, mistake the uh, the episode with the first interracial kiss for there being like a actual connection between the two characters and in the J.J. Abrams one uh, they kind of do that, but they also kind of make it a, a weird love triangle between her, Spock, and Kirk. It's a little weird, but oh, yeah, oh my odd. gosh! I just so so just for some memories. context, the the reason they were able to get the first interracial kiss on TV is because there was a godlike character who forces them to perform in front of him, mm-hmm. and he forces them to kiss, even though they're just like colleagues. So it's a, a really kind of weird gross scene in, in the original Star Trek, but that's how they were able to get around the censors was because they didn't want to kiss. They were forced to kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cooler part about that is that they, they, they were so worried about not being able to show it that they wanted to do a version where they don't kiss. And uh, William Shatner flubbed it on purpose every mm-hmm. time so that they only had one take of them kissing that they could use. Huh. And so that to give a little bit of tip of the hat, like thumbs up to why William Shatner deserves some credit is that a lot of that happened because of him. Yep. Interesting. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so this number one character, or the the one who is filling in for number one, who mm-hmm. then becomes chief security, security officer. officer. Yep, security chief security. Yeah. So she's new. Okay. Correct. Tragic backstory and all. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. We love a good tragic backstory. <laughs> As drama. And and many Star Trek characters have some form of traumatic backstory. So just different traumas. Yeah, I really like this this Pike thing um, where he can, like, see his fate because uh, he's he's essentially lived it somehow. Um, but, I mean, when he's looking in the mirror and he's seeing his his uh, disfigured face, like, I'm assuming that's just in his imagination. But I don't know. Maybe it's also he can actually see it. But that gave me some, I don't know why, it gave me some Doctor Who vibes. This concept mm-hmm. of, like, time being a little bit more flexible and fate following you around and like this 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 darkness that weighs heavy on your shoulders even though you're the leader of some you know feisty little band of misfits across the universe <laughs> yeah and so in season two of discovery he actually went to a planet and saw his future yeah which was 
you know, revealed to him that he was going to be disfigured horribly and and die at some point. That sucks. I would not yeah. want to know that. <laughs> right? And, and that's better? something. Like, it's better not. To and know. that's something they touch upon in this episode. Yep. Spock's like, it's a good thing you know that now, and <laughs> it's like, dude, are you? That's not a human thing to say. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> and that's why the Vulcans are so interesting characters because it's they're very different from humans in certain ways. I like this episode. I like the look of it. I know a lot of people miss the old um, 70s version <laughs> with with the the lower budget sets and all of that. But this looked nice. It looked cinematic to me. It looked it, it looked closer to the Star Trek that I love, which is uh, TNG. I won't lie. You know, the original will still be, hold a very special place for me. But TNG is my favorite Star Trek. So this this felt good. I like the sets. I like the look of everything, the aesthetics. It looks it looks very cool. And again, one of the things I absolutely love about Star Trek is very human stories told through alien races. And you got that on this very first episode while also introducing uh, Pike's character as being tortured. He's being haunted by by his future, which is a little different than what we usually get. We always get people who are haunted by their past. He's haunted by his future, yes. and that to me is it awesome. Is cool, yeah. That's a great also, device. Norm, I'm definitely going to agree with you where it was refreshing to see this one. Listen, I know New Trek gets a lot of grief because they, they kind of went away from this um, episodic storytelling where it's just like a new story every day, right? Or right. every time you tune in. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm fine with it. I feel like I, I love any kind of storytelling in the Star Trek universe, but it's good to see them getting back to basics where like this is what to me is what was so compelling about Star Trek as a series is that it was a gateway to talk about all these crazy real like human stories, but do it in a way that's, you know, uh, new and interesting. And so as much as, you know, you can, I think nowadays it's very difficult to do just an episodic show because it used to be for um, uh, syndication like somebody would pop on a, 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 you know, the show would come on and you didn't know where in the storyline it was. So it had to be a standalone episode. And then TV has gone the way of streaming where you want to sit down and just binge five episodes in a row. And you kind of want to have some continuity between each one. And I feel like this show, what I'm really thinking it's going to do is it's going to be the best of both worlds. There's a little Star Trek, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Tip. Um, it's literally going to be the best of both worlds where they're going to do this, storytelling for the characters and the relationships that'll last through a season of an arc. But then each episode should be a little bit different, a new setting. And right off the bat, that's what I was getting from this show. Like where they, and I love how he solved the conflict, not by like a big space battle, but through like discourse Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, and, and convincing people through language that like they had to compromise or, and it was just felt like such in the spirit of what I love about Star Trek is that it's not Star Wars, Right. They used to they they had budgets, but it was like they had to be very clever with how they use. In fact, a lot of the old Star Trek stuff would use sets from other shows that were mm-hmm. filming on the Paramount lot. So, like, I want to. That's what I'm hoping to see from this show that we got a lot of in this first episode. But I want to see throughout is that like playing with that um, that setting to have all these different storylines and still doing a little things that are serialized with the characters and the character arcs and setting a pike with that. Like you said, that fear of the future, I think, is a really clever way of, of giving him something more interesting. Granted, 
what I'm also hoping to see is some fun and levity because that's one of the things I love about when Star Trek is hitting right is they also have some good humor. The original series had it. TNG had it. Deep Space Nine had it in droves. Uh, Voyager had it. Like all those shows have, you know, a really good sense of humor. So I'm hoping to see that continue as well. I think I'm feeling just, I think I'm cautious because it's like new pilot episode, new cast of characters to get to know there is like the familiarity of knowing that like knowing the names knowing a little bit about how everyone is like some of the setup um but again because this is like you know i wouldn't say having seen the jj abrams movies has given me a ton of um background like accurate background um it's i'm I'm feeling that new show apprehension you know how's this gonna be am i gonna like space because, you know, even though we are out in space here on the pod, <laughs> I still have a little bit of, like, mixed feelings, I think, about space-based sci-fi. I'm not really sure why. Yeah. I just kind of realized that because <laughs> it's just home to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious to see how you come on this journey with me, how, you know, how you respond to all this. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You just say, you know, I I didn't like it and this is why. And uh which might be more interesting than us just agreeing on things. I'm excited. I am excited. Terrified, but excited. <laughs> All right. Well, our next session will cover some more strange new worlds. Then eventually dive into some of the other series, both classic and new, and the films. Remember, you can watch all of the Star Trek content on Paramount+. Plus, Hundreds of hours of it, spanning decades and generations. Also, be on the lookout for some Star Trek interviews in the episodes to come. Finally, if you have any Star Trek questions, submit them on Twitter, at TheVerseCast. You can be part of our online course. Class dismissed. So, Moon Knight, Episode 5. What happened in this episode? A lot. Lots of drama. Lots of drama. (laughs) A lot of backstory in a really good way. (laughs) Yes, absolutely in a good way. Yeah, in a way that I'm not used to seeing in a Marvel TV show. Yeah. In any Marvel property, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At all. This was a first. A lot, I think, for Marvel. There was yeah. a lot of really dark stuff in this episode. So, so th- this is a basically a back, a dive into Stephen Grant and Mark Spector's shared backstory. As... Yeah, we actually, this is the origin story of Stephen, really. Yes. 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 <laughs> I will say, after watching this episode, though, I was very, I, 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 this, this episode could have had an R rating, I think. I don't know if anyone else thinks that. You mean just from, from the subject material? I don't know if it was the subject material or just, there's, there's a couple graphic points where I'm like, yeah, this is, this is just not for kids, this episode. If I could, like, reiterate it, I don't know. I just, like, this was, this touched on some very, very heavy topics. Yes, there, there was were, child abuse. There was, you know, there's a lot of emotional of, distress. Yes, lots yes. of trauma. Lots of trauma. Yes, trauma. It reminded Overall me of trauma. Uh, it reminded me of watching the bridge Terabithia as a kid. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, trauma. Yes, that's a that's ouch. A, like that was. <sighs> ooh. That that's a yeah, good I've never, one. I've never seen that. I, that's a blind okay. Spot so for bridge me. to te- bridge to Terabithia, I would say is Emily and I's generation. Like, that's our my girl. You know? Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are yeah. doing, you guys are nailing the head on these. Uh... Yeah. 
on these I don't know the bees. That's what I yes, think no, but like that Mario. that movie, like that's what Bridge to Darabithia. Same exact emotional reaction that that right, elicited. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I loved this episode. I could not believe this was an episode five because, you know, this is only this is only six episode series, and to hit hit us with this on episode five felt very uncharacteristic to anything Marvel has done. Yeah, because they're exploring character instead of plot, which is really intriguing. Like, that is is rare. Usually you get, like, half an episode that does that, and the other half is, like, crazy fight scenes and, you know, or maybe exactly. some more, you know, bringing in other characters in this. So why don't we just kind of give a little um, synopsis mm-hmm. of what happens in it, um, which is we resume our uh, trek in the afterworld, it turns out. Um, remember, we were questioning previous episode is, like, is is this in his mind? Is this, you know... Is it a dream? And it's and it is revealed to us that he is actually in the afterlife, uh, going to cross over. Right. Uh, so Mark's the, version of the afterlife, um, what we think, yeah, what is what we're told is the afterlife is a a mental asylum or some yeah. kind of clinic, um, psychiatric ward. Because he actually sees yeah. himself as broken mentally. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and and he ends up. Being on a ship, it turns out he's sailing on a ship, and in the inside the ship is uh you know his all these like corridors of a mental institution, and he gets to peer into these different doorways with like windows in the doors that show moments of his life, or I should say moments of Stephen and Mark's life, because uh, it's both of their memories that they now have access to. Yes, and the hippo that we saw at the end of the episode is um not not just a hippo but the egyptian goddess tarawet who is the goddess of the what you Ch- say children and, and pregnant children? birth fertility birth and, and fertility yeah yeah. Like yeah but she is guiding them through their journey into the afterlife or in the afterlife and uh she has this these scales which she puts their hearts on um two hearts in this case since we have two personalities but um if it doesn't balance with the feather, the feather of truth or whatever, then they will be stuck in the sands. Um, they'll essentially be like dragged down to be frozen forever and have their souls frozen in the sand. Um, if they do balance, then they get to go to uh, the field of reeds, which is sort of like a heaven-ish kind of. You get heaven vibes from it, very sunny. And mm-hmm. to get the scales to balance, uh, Mark has got to open up to Steven. Um, although it's a little unclear to me exactly what needs to be accomplished. I think it's like uh, he has to come to balance with his own life is basically what it is. That's how I read it. Uh, or it came across to me was that he had internal turmoil that he had to come to peace with. And that meant not just, not just him, but also Steven had to get that glimpse of what he's been missing. That makes a lot of sense. I that, I was a little confused about that as well. I thought it was more of him being judged, but you're right because as you see, what happens in is when they both Mark and Stephen explore their shared past and their shared trauma. You see, once they kind of come to terms with it, is when the scales do balance out. Yeah, I really like that interpretation of um, that like hypothesis for what happens after you die. Like rather than being judged for your actions and kind of like tipping a scale or not. It's like, can you come to terms with who you are or who you were um, and accept it and make peace with it 
and that is like the true test of what uh you know if you move on or not and it kind of makes sense from a trauma perspective yeah yes yeah it also yeah. makes great tv watching that that was i mean and and what we do end up seeing is actually i was not kidding this is we see how uh mark's personality is fractured so we learned that his you know he had a brother who uh because of his negligence as a as an older brother uh takes him on a little adventure and they get stuck in a cave and the, and his brother drowns and it just ruins his family because his mother can't move past it and blames him for the son's death and so you know and abuses him because of it so he's trapped in this abusive home uh and through that him disassociating himself from the trauma he creates this character Stephen and you get to see it happen Mm-hmm. It's very touching. Very like seriously, I I talk about how you know they had like the one fight scene at the end where they're struggling on the boat, but uh, most of the of this entire you know was thirty minutes or something is uh is them just exploring a family past and done in a really clever way where they just keep jumping from room to room and running upstairs. It still has that very dreamlike quality to it, uh, or I should say nightmare like quality actually. Um, which is, you know, I really, I really like that stuff when they play around with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know what? I thought this might be a little strange, but so like episode four, I thought was it was like very dark. We were in the tombs, and there's a lot of horror, suspense. You know, like things jumping out at you, creepy characters. And I would say that this episode, I would say the topics were definitely like darker than what we saw in episode four. And it was like much heavier, but like overall, like visually, like this episode was much brighter. There's lots of color, like visually stunning, mm-hmm. really in a lot of capacities. So I just thought that was a little bit interesting, but like I could not take my eyes off the screen. Like when they were bouncing back and forth between the different rooms and exploring different memories that Stephen had, it was it was crazy. Like this is like unprecedented marvel territory like we've they've never done anything like this yeah and the thing that i love the most about this episode uh we've all talked about how much we love oscar isaacs in this not only just in this but like in other franchises and other media um but wow did they give him a lot to work off in this episode like this script just he just shined in this entire episode um as both steven and mark I I can't describe how well he played both of them. And that had to be really challenging because it's not like you're working off another actor in this case. He has to work basically probably to a tennis ball, like that they're probably holding up like, okay, here's here's where you'd be standing. Act to yourself. And then he has to like go back and, you know, he has to go from Steven over to Mark and Actually, I'm it. really curious because what they and they can do though, Norm, not that it's easy uh is they oftentimes i'll have somebody who's dressed all in like a green suit mm-hmm. who then they can, can be performing as well sure um uh, like green man like for, uh charlie from <laughs> from always <laughs> study but no but they do have like tricks they can do it but it's, it's still like it's not as though you're in a, in a in a moment with a person who looks like you know the actor across from you which is yourself like you know there there's a lot of tricks they have to do so it's really you know getting a, a performance that's so nuanced out of both of his you know, his personalities. Yeah, I'm sure it was not such an easy task. Yeah, that like just sunk in that uh, it's because it seems so much like there's there's two Oscar Isaacs. Like it, 
you know, not just the way that it's filmed and the camera trickery with that, but yeah, the way it's acted. It's like yeah. this, the way that these two characters are, two versions of this one self are interacting. Like, it seems like there's no way that they're, um, the emotion, that they're not in the same room. The emotions that he's pouring out from both of them, especially uh, like, you know, I've been loving the Steven character, but this was the one where Mark trying to protect Steven from from some of this trauma is what really got me. Like I was like, wow, this is this is some powerful acting from from Oscar on this one because he just again I I can't believe how great of a job he did knowing that it was literally him trying to outact himself mm-hmm. initially. You know, I thought with the structure we'd have the two episodes of setup. Um, the two episodes are like middle stuff and then the two episodes of all the dominoes falling down. And I do think it is following that. I just like, I know I was like a little worried that by five and six, we were going to get a little bit like kind of what happened with WandaVision, right? Like yep. it just, mm-hmm. it becomes a straight Marvel movie, um, or like just, you know, following a lot of the tropes and stuff, but they've really outdone themselves. I think with this, I mean, even if episode six were just one big, like, not very interesting fight scene, I would still walk away and be like, this is one of the best <laughs> like shows that Marvel's ever done. Yeah, they definitely pushed the, their their craft in this one um, in, in directions I did not expect. And that's what leaves me to be very unsure of how they're going to wrap this up. Because a lot of our, again, like, none of our theories or... Our, our, you know, um, our assumptions have been proven wrong yet, but we're running out of time to yes. to do a lot of the things that we were expecting to see this season. Um, so I'm, you know, now I'm like a little confused how they're gonna, you know, put a bow on the end of this. I have a feeling it is going to be somewhat of a cliffhanger, which I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, I feel like the way that this series has been going, and the fact that we only have one episode left, it kind of feels like it could be the perfect storm for a set mm-hmm. cliffhanger. Yes. Yes. What was really well, sh- what was really shocking to me in this episode because I figured from the last episode and, and everything that happened that they're going to try and force the characters to get back to the Moon Knight personality, and mm-hmm. it didn't happen. And to say it was refreshing is an understatement for me because, like, like we, like Emily just said, like I was expecting the Wandavision rug pull. Like, okay, yeah. everything's really, really interesting, building, 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 and then all of a sudden, like, boom, just regular Marvel property. Here we go. And it didn't happen, and I gotta say, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a show called Moon Knight, there's very little Moon Knight happening. <laughs> I was kind of wondering because they had that moment where they they like did the super the superhero origin thing, where like Moon Knight the suit rises and is named dubbed the right, yeah, but he's like, I will call <laughs> you Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was like, but then aside from that, this wasn't really like you couldn't call it a superhero movie or show. It was like, it was a really, really um, well-handled exploration of trauma and kind of feel like aside, like with the horror direction that we've been talking about Marvel going a little bit, you know, with multiverse of madness, at least um, it does feel like, like even starting from WandaVision um, trauma is a big theme, which makes sense like post end game, mm-hmm. but it also makes me wonder like, the people at Marvel, okay. It's been a hard pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's been hard on all of us. I mean. like, oh man, like you need a hug, man. Well, well, you remember? It wasn't that long ago that I I brought up the fact that people were worried that this was going to glorify uh, mental illness, and I think absolutely the exact opposite. And they're showing all this trauma that he ha- he has had to endure, mm-hmm. and. I think it's done in a way that makes it very sympathetic that shows that it's not glorified and makes people realize that. Cause let's face it. Even if this, um, this therapy session that he's kind of like blanking in and out of, even if it's not real, it's already better than any kind of therapy we've seen on screen in a very long time. Oh, I wanted to give a shout out to Arthur Harrow for being a, a pretty decent uh, therapist. Right? In, yeah. In that yeah. Scene. I think he's probably the best therapist we've seen. Yeah, he so was far. like, he's like, yeah, we oh, we don't dope people many. up with meds anymore. And he like got bar. Steven to come out. <laughs> yeah, the low bar. Oh, man. Remember the one in um, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Falcon and Winter Soldier. Couples therapy. Were you an Why actual? You are you an actual therapist, or are you just like a Doctor Phil therapist? Uh, <laughs> man, yeah, this was like um, definitely not glamorizing. I don't know about realism because I don't know enough, but um, it felt like a really, really good story. Like there was, like the human aspect of it felt very respectfully handled. There are two distinct people on screen. Like it's not just, it's not like. I feel like other representations of dissociative identity disorder are like kind of using it as a gimmick or an actor mm. showcase <laughs> split. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, this was, this felt like the point of the, of the DID was not just to be like, was not just the gimmick to draw you in. It is like a vehicle for telling a very real story. Like the, yeah, the that was one that of my favorite moments in this episode was when the mom was banging on the door and like was going to come in and he had a messy room. And then you saw like the kid j- and it wasn't even uh, Oscar Isaac's performances. The kid just suddenly goes slips into the Steven personality and you're like, oh, okay, all right. Yep. I can see that. That's how it happens mm-hmm. is you just are so terrified of your reality. You kind of just invent this other personality that pops out. Yeah. So that was, you know, and it was a good way of showing, not telling. You know what I mean? Where we were showed, th- you know, how this could come about, and not just like in in a uh, exposition. This mm-hmm. this entire episode, um, I felt very emotional throughout it. But when uh, he's standing outside his mom's shiva, mm-hmm. and he starts walking away because he can't do it, and then he s- slowly breaks into Stephen. And then Steven's, yeah. like, realizing that, like, like, or Steven's writing out the memory that his mom's dead and he's, like, calling her and stuff like that. That was heartbreaking for me. Like, that was yeah. the moment where I actually was like, okay, I can't, like, th- this is where I got to stop and take a minute for myself. Because I thought, I thought it was beautiful and sad and, again, I, I absolutely loved it. So good. Yeah. That I, I was, was definitely also, like, a... A favorite like heart-wrenching moment of mine um because there was like this this incredible catharsis because steven finally gets to see like kind of gets to see this other side of mark and see him as like this full person like both of them mark and steven have been seeing each other uh steven at least has been seeing mark in in a bit of a one through just one perspective because he only knows him as the other person in his mind who's a terrible murderer maybe uh, and now he's seeing like every like the the things that formed him, um, 
And our perspective on Mark changes a ton as well, because we understand now what he's trying to protect Stephen from. Um, and so I was like, not happy exactly, but like relieved that Stephen got to see this, even as painful as it was. Um, so just crazy mix of emotions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of my other favorite moments was when uh, Stephen was following the, his, his, his childhood self and his brother into the cave and it starts flooding and you see him like trying to save the kids and you're like, come on, dude, you know, this isn't going to end well. Yeah. But the fact that he's like st- so worried about them and still trying to save him just shows how good of a person he is. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I like that. That like those little touches really made it feel real, even though it's this kind of fantastical, uh, you know, setup. And it's still, I was like, yeah. And that's what I do mean as well. That did seem like it was almost this nightmarish uh, scenario that you had to witness. Well, and then it, he's like trying to chase kid Mark like around just to be to try and comfort him. And he's like, what are you doing, mom? Like, how could you be this way? Like, it's yeah. those those little details. Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting because I didn't know that was not the path when that kid was first introduced. So like they're in the asylum and they go into a room and there's just like a room of corpses. And it's all the people that Mark has killed. And because he, he says he remembers every kill. So a kid, like, runs into, like, this morgue, essentially, but the kid is very much alive, and I was like, oh, like, like, Mark must have killed a kid, like, in his... Collateral damage or something like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, like, yeah, that would make sense. And then it went down, then it was like, oh, no, like, that's, that's, like, Mark's little brother, and then it, like, he was blamed for killing him. He didn't kill him, but he was blamed for killing his brother, and I was like, whoa, that was, that was a turn I was not expecting. I was not expecting that. Uh, it's somehow just, darker yeah. than if he had accidentally killed him. Right, yeah. I know, yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, oh, Well, it's, yeah, just in some ways more tragic because, one, it's his family. And also, you know, as he says, like, you were just a kid. Like, how, how can you keep blaming yourself? You're you're a foolish kid. And uh, But, you know, definitely that's, like, the th- the point about real-life trauma is, like, you never really get over it. Like, it's with you the rest of your life. You just have to learn to deal with it in a you know in a non-damaging way so so i guess like going off of that like what was everyone's did you guys have a favorite moment of this episode i know norm you spoke on yeah no it's, you it's, know, the scene of mark outside the shiva that was pretty intense that that watch. was that was it for me like wow that <laughs> i don't i don't think i felt that hard for anyone on screen in a while and i did in that scene since endgame for norm Probably, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Hey, happy four-year Endgame anniversary. <laughs> oh, yes. Laughing, crying. We're still traumatized. We can't talk about well, it yet. What about you, Bridget? I've talked about a lot of the different scenes I really was enjoying. Oh, man. What I it kept messing me up in this episode, so I don't, I don't even want to call it a favorite scene, but when they were dipping in and out, they would like go to these memories of Stephen's past, whether it was like when his brother died and they're going through all these doors and uh then all of a sudden like you're about to like move on to like a next core memory for him and then it snaps back into the asylum and he's back in the doctor's office and you're like what the like what is like you don't you don't know what's real you're not sure what's going on and I just like loved that because it kept it personally it kept me so engaged in the episode and you're just gonna be like, what? But then it was also bouncing back and forth between like who's Mark and who's Steven. And I just 
like the fact that Oscar Isaac was able to differentiate differentiate like two very different characters like like but he it's it's himself like that's just like crazy i've never seen anything like this done on screen like it's crazy because it's not like he was like they, they made it two different people it wasn't like it was just like just oscar isaac on screen and he would like switch characters on screen it's like it was two different people he's playing two different characters it's just it was wild wild man mm-hmm. so i don't know therapy sessions were probably some of my favorite i just like with ethan hawk like i just thought like they were very endearing scenes because it's like you're really watching someone like break down essentially like go through their most horrific memories like, yeah and they set it up though as you were expecting him just to be messing with mark the whole yeah, time yeah yeah and it and turned out just- like he would, that's what I mean, like a little shout out to doing some good therapy sessions there. <laughs> yeah, I was so conflicted with that because I was like, I'd like see Harrow and I'd be, and I, you know, I I, I uh, harbor some some ill will towards him for all of the... Oh, since the two bullets he put in Mark's chest. Since yeah. the, you know, he shot our protagonist. <laughs> he yeah. um, wants to doom probably most of us to death. <laughs> They're unbalanced souls. Yeah. Ooh, I don't, yeah. I'm really hoping those scales would tilt, tilt right for me. But wait, what did they call? Yeah. What did they refer to him as? And I can't remember. And I laughed out loud when they were in the doctor's office. And it, was it, it when it, he calls it, out his stash? It was. But, yeah, but he called him like a character. And I can't, what did he call him? And I just, oh god, now it's gonna bother I must have me. Missed that. Oh no, it was so funny. It was so funny. Oh God! Hang on. Was it a Stephenism uh, or a Markism? I think it was a Stephenism. Um, oh man, what did they? Why did I not write this down? But that he, that he was moment, like, you're looking like a something, and I was like, oh man. That that scene me. though with Stephen when he finally takes over for the uh, the actual therapy, what we think is the actual therapy session or whatever, uh, and they he call says okay i'll call your mom and he finally realizes that was yeah that's up there too man like this this whole entire episode had me like i was i was in tears for a lot of it mm-hmm. yeah so, and this yeah. episode was directed by muhammad diab so like this was you know I, his credits aren't are as long as the other uh directors on here so I, you know he did a really great job of just bringing the drama i agree impressive bringing the yeah. drama bringing the trauma uh and, and also well it was it's interesting because this is how like wandavision i think episode six was like when they they were going through all of wanda's trauma like from her childhood mm-hmm. like with agatha and it was like sort of the same idea as this uh but, oh yeah like, that this is a good capital- point no they did the, essentially the same thing they went through close to it yeah all the yeah, different they really built of her past on that yeah yeah but and as much as i loved don't get me wrong wandavision is still one of my favorite series but like this episode did it for me what WandaVision couldn't. Like I just feel that like they wrapped up WandaVision after that episode. Here it's still like there's question marks everywhere. Well, like what's gonna happen? I, I think where's Jake? <laughs> still in that sarcophagus. Um No, Bridget, you you yeah, you brought up a really good point. It is a very good parallel. I think the one reason why maybe in WandaVision it, this same exact idea didn't work for me was because it was more pervasive because Agatha was forcing her to go through this, whereas mm-hmm. Stephen and Mark were like they were still kind of being forced to have to go through this, but they were exploring it together. 
And it seemed like really they were, especially towards the end of their little journey here, I felt like they were really trying to heal from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really fascinating push and pull between them where it's, I feel like it very much um, reflects the way that like you might actually deal with trauma. Like you know that you have to, you don't want to, um, but to some extent you're forced to, you're compelled to. Um, and we like got to see all that play out on screen. I think at the end, if we can like, spoil the last thing <laughs> from this episode which I think is, we should right now it. yeah do it, the do outcome it. right of the last fight on the boat as they're sailing through the afterlife um, they their scales don't balance so the undead come to claim their souls and freeze them in the sand and uh, they put up a fight um, well Steven puts up a fight which they, is they both put up a fight just they both Steven, do but I w- Steven. but I thought it was really this great moment where Steven was like, wait, if I'm him, I can also be, you know, strong and powerful. And he runs over and starts whooping some sand people and, you know, with a, with a bat or something, um, you know, which was a really cool, like heroic scene for him. Cause he hasn't really gotten too much heroic scenes to have. And it did feel earned, right? Like, yes. he, you know, he, uh, after the, everything that we just watched and then what happens? Well, uh, in a very dramatic climactic moment um mark is about to be dragged off the boat by like literally the his demons like essentially um undead versions of the people that he that he killed in the past and steven runs at the guy that's holding him and uh gets taken get gets falls out of the boat with him so he he runs and body slams this guy they both um drop off the boat and it's kind of it for steven you know there's this this horrible like you know calling of trying to like what can you do right it's like this this really helpless thing mark is watching steven get farther and farther away in the sand and he's trying to run after him but um mark knows he can't get off the boat and steven um starts to freeze in the sand and eventually he does freeze and that's one thing i was thinking through all that was uh yeah is it the end of steven is the huge question mark because that would Stink. That's like our favorite character on the show, right. which makes me to believe that it's not the end. That we will see more of him. Maybe not this season. Maybe that's it for a while. But um, but I kept thinking. I was like, "There's got to be a life preserver on that boat somewhere, <laughs> don't they? Like store those things, throw them a life jacket." Anyway, you know the the saddest part about watching Stephen do this was because I felt like, especially with Mark screaming the way he was for for Stephen, um, it was almost like what they just went through bonded them. And it was almost like he lost a brother again, which to me, Mm -hmm. like, again, this wrenched at my heart, but also the minute Steven froze, the scales balanced and Mark found Mm -hmm. himself in the uh, field of reeds. And I was like, Oh, this is, I don't know about anybody else, but I was like, Oh man. Transition. That was the scene I was going to mention, like the sudden, just the scales stop and then they're snap right in the field of reeds. And it's like something that should be a good thing. Uh, yeah, is so it's supposed to be <laughs> so tragic. Not to keep like bringing up parallels, but that scene also reminded me of when. Um... I'm sorry, guys. This is early for me. I cannot think of anyone's names in Endgame when Hawkeye's character 
can't think of his real name right Clint now. Martin. Clint Barton. Clint. Thank you, Clint. When after Natasha, you know, like jumped off the cliff there, and then all of a sudden it was snap. He wakes up with the Infinity Stone in his hand. That was kind of like like the relieved and happy. Yeah. Like we needed the Infinity Stone, but now Natasha's gone. Like mm-hmm. it was kind of that same idea right. for me. At what cost? At what cost exactly? Whatever mm-hmm. it takes. <laughs> but yeah, no, this episode was just. It was a lot, but in the best way, I think, at least. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what do you guys, you guys have any theories, do you think? Well, you know? I mean, I mean, let's, let's transition into this uh, with a little bit of a, a light note here. Um, one good thing, it's the only Easter egg I have. They brought the QR code back for this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't even looking for Couldn't it. This see after all the tears. <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say like like I went I watched this twice because I, I again I I'm not joking. This is probably my favorite episode of all the Marvel TV shows so far, and like by far. So I watched it again, and um, right when they first looks out into one of the doors and sees Mark standing across from what we'll find out later to be his mother Shiva. Um, mm-hmm. There's a QR code right next to the door, and if you scan it, you get a free link to Moon Knight number one. Cool. All right. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I haven't done any of those yet. Has anybody done the, the QR codes? I mean, yes. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them yet. Like Norm's brought them up after every episode, and I'm like, I have. I never noticed one. I never saw. I one. I should go back. I I vow that as soon as we you know we wrap this series up, I'll go and get some of those comics and look into them. Definitely worth it. Um, but that's that's my only thing. So let's yeah, let's talk theories here. It's not a theory. I just want to know how this fits in the Marvel timeline. Like I want to. Oh, know I thought like... you were going to say I want to know if Captain America's on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. That's number two. Hey, Moon Knight. Hey, yeah. Moon Knight oh, is not yeah. actually what you think. It's it's actually Captain America. It's moon Knight, Captain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> that would make sense. It would make sense. No, I just like. In every piece of Marvel content, post-Endgame, they've made it a point to tell us, you know, how this fits post-Blip, you know? Yeah, WandaVision was, WandaVision, they were really, like, you know, teasing up Doctor Strange, and we knew that was going to happen, so that, we could tell where that fits in the timeline easily. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Falcon Winter Winter Soldier Soldier. as well, right? Um, Low-key, we know that it has something to do with the the fracturing of the timelines, yeah. yeah, the multiverse. Uh, yeah, and this one, so there hasn't been any connection yet, and that's what I think we are going to get. I would be really shocked. Actually, I'd be more shocked if there wasn't any tie-in, because that would seem very out of place for Marvel, uh, to at least let us know, like, how is this going to fit in? And it might even be teasing up, which I'm suspecting might happen, is that it's not going to be connected to, you know, Doctor Strange or any of those other things. It's going to be connected to uh, an- another branch of storytelling that they'll be doing. That might be more TV focused, probably some movies too. But like, uh, but that's bringing in a lot of these other characters we've we've teased up, like Blade and, right. and Ghost Rider. So I'm still holding out hope that in the final episode we'll get some connection. I how that I so plays too. out, I'm not sure. I yeah. think yeah. after this episode, I'm going to make a very bold theory here. Um, in the next episode, there's not going to be a big fight scene. I don't think so. I don't think there's going to be. I, I just can't see it. Uh, I don't even know how that would how they would line that up. Me, me either. I I, I, I see I see this happening where Stephen, Mark, whoever, and 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 uh, Layla 
um, defeat Harrow through some, I don't know, some some logic, and then like turns the tables against him so that he Amut, um, maybe accidentally takes his soul instead or something like that. I don't, I don't know that. I, I just don't see a big fight. Me either. All right, we've got to find some. Like we gotta, you know, do something about Konshu, and and if if he's freed, mm-hmm. is he gonna take St- uh, Mark? As his avatar again, will he even be able to? If uh, we, Mark is technically dead still, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so like even if he does come back to life, if he comes back to life without Stephen, um, unclear if there's going to be another personality at this time. And he's not as fractured as he used to be. Will he still be susceptible to Kanchu? Would Kanchu take a different avatar? Would Layla now fall? Like there's a lot of questions that that could be answered in one episode i think but don't know if they will be i mean if if they're going so like character and plot heavy in this i just don't see them being able to do a big fight sequence and i'm for it i'm really for it i do want to see though and i i I can't imagine him going away just at the end of the series like i want to see ethan hawk's character like continue on i do like sort of find his villain intriguing but i don't know if like next week's episode will be the end of the road for him or well you know i i like it when they don't just kill off the villains which they have a tendency somewhat to do in a lot of these different franchises but but you know think about uh falcon and the winter soldier had one of the best like uh what is it hero villains what what would you call um (laughs) Um, anti-heroes i don't know i guess (laughs) he wasn't really a hero though yeah that's what i'm saying Um, like he's not a hero but uh, I mean, but anyway, like, so I would love it if they kept, you know, I I preferred if they don't just, you know, kill off his character, then we never see him again. Because uh, you know, they become a frenemy. <laughs> yeah, frenemies. That's good. Yeah. Fren frenemy. I was gonna try to make a mummy poem out of that, but it didn't. It, it was not. <laughs> I was like, friend of mummy. No, that just that just doesn't work. <laughs> you can chew on that for a while and then yeah. put it on her Twitter or something. <laughs> No, I don't know. I just, I think this has been a very intriguing series. And I didn't, I, I got to go back and rewatch it because I said this earlier. Excuse me. I said this in one of our earlier episodes. The show didn't grasp my attention, like, right off the bat. It took me a little bit to warm up into it. But then, like, I'm hooked. Like, I'm I'm 110% hooked now. So I just, I'm intrigued to see this is going to end. Yeah, I can't wait to see. I'm excited. Okay, so that wraps our coverage of Moon Knight Episode 5. If you have thoughts, tell us on Twitter before we don't have Twitter anymore. You can find us on Twitter <laughs> at, at the Versecast. Uh, so, it looks like we've come to a crossroads squad where the future meets the past, where the most modern of technology beams hand-typed messages across space and time directly into this Twitter account. Speaking of which, uh, I just need to press these coded buttons. Uh, man, this is okay. This is really hard. This is actually too much work. Kind of. I almost wish that we had our Chrome being "Thou shalt not be named" back. I mean, he may have been a bit of a sob, if you know what I'm saying. But at least I didn't have to wrestle with this thing. It's a Some keyboard, Emilia. Yeah. Okay. Whatever you want to call it. I prefer Cronsworth and his dirty napkins. 
I thought you were talking about Bender from <laughs> that Futurama. Would be awesome. <laughs> Let's get it. Can we get an, a different Holding robot on the show? Holding auditions for maybe? a new robot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Send in your resumes. So we've got a message from Ms. Capmando, unclear if related to Capmando, who asks, you've had some really awesome interviews. If you could choose, if you could each choose one character to interview from any of the cinematic universes that you discuss, who would it be and why? Oh. Like a character or an, like an actor? Or oh, so a character. character. Yeah. Character. Huh. Uh, huh. Oh, hmm. Yoda. Duh. <laughs> oh, that would, that would drive me nuts after a while. I'd have to be really drunk to be able to keep up with Yoda. <laughs> Approve Yoda does just, not. Exactly. You, See, you, that's what that's what I'm yeah. talking about. I no, like, I think. If, no, I I just Yoda, Yoda. I think I think Gandalf. I think I'd go. I'd, I'd want to smoke some pipe weed and and like interview Gandalf for a while, just because. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He, those are two good. Those are two good answers. I mean, I'm you could, you, you could talk just, to him about uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Come on. Oh, that's true. I mean, you engage in some legal cannabis and you just pop a squat. I think it would be <laughs> some riveting conversation between the two. I think so, too. Pipe, pipe weed. In this pipe weed. Pipe weed. <laughs> yeah, pipe weed. We're not talking. Pipe weed is definitely cannabis. Come on. <laughs> wow. Does Tolkien ever really get into that? I don't think he does. Uh, who, All right. We're getting a little bit too. Into... We're getting yeah. too far into the pipe weeds here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I would love to do is I think 10 forward. Jean Luc Picard, respect that, and some Earl Grey hot. Oh, I I can respect that. That's good. I I think that would be. I would just love to hear his adventures, his perspective on military history, as well as just history in general, and maybe winemaking. I feel like we could talk a lot about good vintages. (laughs) Nice, nice, yeah. I was gonna say Dumbledore, but Norm then said Gandalf, which. Kind of is the same character. A little bit of similar archetype. Um, I'll go with, you know what? Fast and Furious been in the news lately. We're going to go with um, you know, Dominic? Uh, Dominic Toretto. <laughs> nice. I mean, I would, or maybe Han, because Han is my favorite, but I, I feel like Dominic Toretto might make a better interview because... Because Han, I'd rather just go hang out with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dominic... yeah. This is like an interview, a, a, a question, not like a just tr- riding cars around and having <laughs> right. fun, and smoking Dom's pipe a weed. Star. I mean, not only that, but Dom could talk to you about family all day, and then you know talk about how he lives his life a quarter mile at a time. It'd be, <laughs> and thrilling. then we can have any drink we want as long as it's a Corona. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Nice. I love it. Wow, we just did the interview. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So then we've got a second verse transmission from Mikey Mika, who asks, when will, we get, when will we be getting more the verse transmissions? Bro, they're right here. Listen up. Okay. And then two, <laughs> what's your favorite series that you have not discussed on the verse? Well, I, I mean, my interview transitions right into the series that I always want to talk about, which is The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we talk about it a lot, but we haven't actually, like, dove into it, is, I would say, Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? Those... I was just telling uh, BB that I was rewatching the final season 
just oh so my good. god! I, I mean, it's just so good. <laughs> no, but I was like, oh, this is why I love this show. Like, this yes. is like this season is what cemented it as like the best. Anyway, and you, I'm not kidding. You, you could essentially jump in halfway through, or just like skim through. They yeah. even have recommendations on Disney Plus where it's like the highlighted episodes. You could mm-hmm. just go watch those and then watch the final season, and it's like it's some of the best content ever made for Star Wars. Oh, easily, easily. It's my comfort show. And you're just like trying to go to bed at night or something. You just pop an mm-hmm. episode or something on. It's 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 oh. great. That and the Golden Girls. Just oh. very. Oh my deep. god, yeah. <laughs> Dude, yes. that's like that is comfort going to sleep show. Yep. It, oh. yep. <laughs> I I love both those answers. Uh, both Lucas and and BB. I, I love both of those. Uh, we do talk about the one I um gonna bring up. We just haven't dived into it, and that's Avatar: The Last Airbender, the Ooh. the animated series. Definitely not, not the, the, movie. the movie, not the movie. Yeah, which which is a blind spot film. for me. So, man, we should. I would love to that cover it because that would be Lucas. Yeah. You would really like that series. I'll tell I you. Think, maybe I that think will be my blind so. spot. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, Emilia. We technically ha- again we have discussed it, but we've never gone in depth. But I guess I have to say Harry Potter because. Yes, we discuss it, mm-hmm. but the only well, there's movies... a, yeah, there's a new movie out now too, so there's a uh, reason to. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Emily is like, uh, do you have to call it a new movie? Uh. But there is a reason again that we have not discussed it recently. <laughs> um, it, between all of the, the like, the Fantastic Beasts series, uh, yeah, just isn't something that I would want to talk about in the verse, and then. Uh, the other stuff that might be coming out or or it's like kind of conflicted because of the whole like all the stuff with JK Rowling like I just don't feel like super comfortable supporting mm-hmm. anything she does fair. so but Harry Potter does remain near and dear to my heart I'm, I'm glad that we at least got to have a round of uh, trivia about oh that's right <laughs> about it yes well, yeah. so for me, though, things coming up soon that I really hope we, we can cover, and I'm just going to float it out there into the uh, the space verse, is that uh, Dune the Sisterhood is coming out. Mm-hmm. And, right. like, you know how big of a fan of Dune I am. Yes, I, I almost said, besides um, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, I would just love to talk with, um, uh, although I guess it wouldn't count because it's from the novels, <laughs> but uh, it would be uh, the God Emperor of Dune. Uh, anyway, but, yes, the... Uh, the Sisterhood is coming out soon, and I'm ex- very excited for that. So hopefully we'll be able to do some coverage on that one. Nice. Well. All right. Well, wait, I... no, wait, I, before we leave, if you have a minute, I so there was another communication from uh, Miles Hughes on our Twitter feed, at uh, Miles on Film, uh, who is saying, uh, I think the question was raised, like, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? And uh, I told him that is an impossible answer. Because there's just too many good, varied roles to choose from. Uh, and I'm bringing this up because last night I went and saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is so much fun. I mean, I really... if Has anybody else on the show seen that one yet? yet. Okay. No, but so I it is really, really want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to love it, Emilia. Because, I mean, the th- funny thing is, though, it's the surprising thing that I guess I shouldn't have been shocked by is not that Nicolas Cage is fun, it's that uh, Pedro Pascal is hilarious. Like, he is the best part of the movie. He outshines Nicolas Cage in some ways, even though his performance is a little more muted, right? And even Nicolas Cage isn't as over-the-top as you have come to expect Nicolas Cage to be, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Like it's, And it, what it is is it's a 
buddy. It's almost like a bromance um, buddy uh, buddy movie, I guess you could say, because they're not really cops. <laughs> it's not a buddy cop movie, but it's like a buddy movie. Um, and it's what it does right. It's not a perfect film, but what it does right is it's so fun. And the entire theater was cracking up through the entire thing. And that's one of the things about seeing a, a movie in the theaters is when everybody's having a good time, like seeing a lighthearted comedy in the theaters is such a such a release. It's just such an amazing experience to do. And that this one is a lot of fun. And I have a feeling you're not going to enjoy it as much unless you see it with a crowd of people who are also having a, a good time with it. Yeah, I'm going to try. That, but it leads me to bring in, though, this question is, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? National Treasure. <laughs> Probably. I, yeah, for nostalgia. I, I can't rule that one out. Um <laughs> But like I, I did say, my favorite film of his is Eight Millimeter. But my favorite performance from him, just because it's like really, really out there, is probably from The Rock. I love The Rock. I mean, these are all great answers, everyone. Um, for me, adaptation is my Nicolas Cage, you know, penultimate performance because he gets to do exactly what Oscar Isaac is doing. He plays two different characters, and they feel, you know, because he plays twins in it, mm -hmm. and they feels like two different characters. I mean, it, you just, you really are convinced that Nicolas Cage is this like sweet, innocent, dopey guy. And then also this other, you know, frantic Nicolas Cage that we're used to. It's anyway. So I think that's one of my favorite of his performances, but we could literally list off 30 movies right now. Uh, mo you know, um, what is it? Uh, what's the, the love story with Cher? Oh, in, in uh, Little Italy. It's not Moon Knight. <laughs> moon. Yeah, moon. I almost, I almost said Moon Raker. No, it's <laughs> Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Which is, I love that movie. I mean, come on, he is so awesome in that. And then Raising Arizona probably is my favorite performance of his. But like I said, adaptation is there. Uh, Wild at Heart with uh, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. You can just start bringing up these Nicolas Cage performances. We were like, God, he was so good in that. Um, and there, some are weird, some are funny. I mean, National Treasure is a is a fun movie, and it is. He, you know, uh, he was recently in the movie Pig, which I wasn't a big fan of, but uh, I thought he did an excellent job in it. So anyway, it's a uh, you know, go see the new one that's out. Partly just because you know, anytime it's a non franchise movie, I try to support it. Um, but it's a lot of fun, and you know, it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see some movies. That star Nicolas Cage, but are not very good. Those those seem to be the only Nick Cage movies that I've seen. Which are... <laughs> I would love if you guys would watch Adaptation. Have you? Do you that's um, uh, what's his name? The writer. Uh... I'm sorry. I'm also brain dead today. Kaufman, right? No, what's his name? Hold on, I'm gonna check it out. Yes, Charlie Kaufman. So. If you're a fan of Charlie Kaufman, like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, I mean, the guy is like an incredible writer. Uh, Did he do New I'm York. Thinking of Ending Things as well? Yes, recently. exactly. Being John Malkovich. I mean, the, the list goes on and on for him. But so that's like Nicolas Cage starring in an art house weird movie that is just so awesome. It, like yeah. Nicolas Cage, he has a great, he has a great uh, library of performances. And it's funny how, like, listen, Face Off. Come on, Ghost I was trying face off. Ghost Rider. All right, I'm, all right. I'm, I'm cutting this here. We're, 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 no, we're done here. Gone in 60 seconds. Mom and dad. Okay, all right. We're, we're done. We're, let's, let's wrap it up. <laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up. 
Well, thank you all for the questions. And if you ever have anything else you want to ask us, please do so. You can reach out to us on our Twitter account at The Versecast. But also be sure to subscribe to The Verse wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Bridget Brogan, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BridgetBrogan16. And if you want to follow me, Emilia, you can find me on Twitter at EmiliaU. If you want to follow me, Lucas Longacre, you can follow me at Luconian Logic on Instagram and on Twitter. If you want to follow me, Norm Felker, you can follow me on Twitter at random underscore white guy. Finally, there's our producer, Stephen Prusikowski, who we last saw taping his fingers together so he can make the Vulcan salute. He can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd as at FilmSnort. Well, there's our music. Thanks for listening, and be sure to send in those questions and comments. And as always, we'll see you next time in The Verse. The Verse is presented by ScreenRadar.com and produced by Steven Kuzakowski. Hey, everybody, I'm back. It's me, Wince Mockendale. The gods of the door are compassionate and short on talent, so I'm back, decubed, and ready for a game. Let's start off with the coin flip. I have a quarter here. Head or tails? Tails never fails, baby. And you're right again. Tails it is. Let's go, Norm. <laughs> the game is called The Verse Versus. The rules are simple. Just name a Star Trek captain. Go back and forth until one of you cannot. When that happens, we'll crown the winner. Begin now, Norm. Okay. Easy. We'll start this one off with Pike. Nice. Picard. Janway. It's pronounced Janeway. Oh, come on. We'll give it to him. Okay. I'll let you, I'll give you that one. Cisco. Kirk. That's a classic. Um, Time's ticking. Forget her name from Discovery. <laughs> Michael something. We need a last name. Oh, um, Sulu. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Cause I was going to say you could have went with Sulu. Just like you can technically go with Crusher. Because she became captain of the medical frigate, Pascal. Was it Pas- okay, P- Pasteur? Pasteur. Pasteur. Louis Pasteur. Not, not Pascal. That's a painter. <laughs> Remember, the crown's on the line. So maybe quit the laughing and get back to answering. You could also go with, um, if we're going to uh, use that as a metric, you can also go with uh, Riker. Yes, you can. Rojas? Yes, Cristobal Rojas. Rojas, right? Yeah. Yes, Cristobal Rojas. Yeah, from from the new season of Picard. Yeah. Worf, was he ever? He was captain of the Defiant, right? Was he? Was he actually a captain though? Maybe I don't not. think so. I think commander. he just got the honor. I think he, he was a commander. I think he just got bumped up to commander for that one. Just like Data, um, he didn't really become captain. Let's mm. check with the judges. And the judges say, mm. "I'm sorry." Worf was not a captain. Oh, I guess I lose this round then. And we have our winner. It's Norm. This this is literally only because I went first. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> literally the Rojas one first. was that was my uh... Braxton, Basin, Halloway, Halloway, Kim, how did LaForge, I forget Halloway? Reed, DePaul, Tucker, DePaul. See, I never watched Enterprise enough. I only saw yeah. like the first couple, first season part of it. Forrest, Connor, Burnham, Burnham. Michael Burnham, that's Michael what it was. Michael Burnham, that's it, Michael Burnham. Damn, I couldn't remember her last name. Spock, Spotterman, Tilly. Ugh, forgot about Spock. Spock was a captain? Uh-uh. Oh, I would have said yeah. Spock just because I feel like at some point, got to happen, right? This is a long-running yeah, show. Yeah, I, I he, guess so. He technically, what, he technically leaves Starfleet when, um, when uh, wow, his dad um, 
Sarek? Sarek. 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 Yeah, when Sarek uh, goes ill, he becomes a diplomat and he leaves. But I think he leaves like so late that it's he's still. I think he's an admiral. I think he makes it to admiral. Mm, he's definitely an admiral. I don't remember him being a captain. They just skipped over that one. Well, folks, that was our first game of the verse versus. Norm, put on your crown. Congratulations, hey. you're the winner. You only missed a few dozen captains, but hey, good for you. Well, that was short. <laughs> our standards are low. You get to keep that crown until one of your trusted friends challenges you. So watch your back, Norm. Until next time, I'm Wince Mockingdale. Keep on listening to the verse. Be good to your robots. And good night. Somebody help me.